0: Welcome to The Numb Podcast. I'm Charles Chafin. Today, we're talking about neuroplasticity. Now, don't shut off the podcast just yet. It's not going to be too heady, I promise. Well, it won't be any more heady than any of the other ones. So, that's probably a word you've heard before. But do you know what it means? It's basically the brain's ability to change, or whether it's its function or actually its structure, based upon... New experiences. So, my slant with neuroplasticity today is really to talk about our brain's change relative to our engagement with technology. And I write about it in numb a little bit, but I'll talk about it in a little more detail. There's a really great piece in this, in this outlet called Countercurrents.org by. Um, The author V.A. Ashroff, who walks through many of the elements that are part of NUM, but talking about this idea of neuroplasticity as it relates to technology. And the author cites this piece that a lot of people are aware of that happened in 2008 that looked at, that found essentially in Dundee University in Scotland, they found that individuals 55 and older who grew up with a black and white television tended to dream in black and white. Whereas individuals who grew up with a color television tended to dream in color. I suppose in 10 or 20 years, they could replicate that study at Dundee University in Scotland and see if individuals growing up with HD have dreams in HD in high definition. I don't know if I would like that, although maybe in a couple of random cases, but I digress. Nevertheless, thinking about this idea of how our brain function and structure changes relative to experiences has huge, huge implications when it comes to technology. You know, we're picking up our our smartphones over 100 times a day in a lot of cases, or we're checking our inbox, our email inbox on multiple occasions. Even this idea of having, you know, phantom vibrations because we think we're feeling our phone vibrating when it's not. Um, our attention or resources are devoted to what's happening with technology, and it's creating all kinds of issues when it comes, most notably, to shorter attention spans. So in 2000, and the author walks through this, but it's commonly known that in 2000, our average attention span was about 12 seconds. In 2015, our average attention span dropped all the way down to 8 seconds. And now Microsoft is saying, within the past year or two, our attention span is under eight seconds, which is less time than the attention span of a goldfish. Interesting that Microsoft's doing this research, but nevertheless. And the implications of having shorter attention span, we talk about on this podcast, and we, I write about it in numb are far-ranging, right? So we're more distracted which means we don't necessarily have the cognitive ability to learn to be productive to engage and learn about the people around us because we're constantly distracted with these short attention spans. And there are other implications when it comes to physical and mental health, you know, whether it's poor diet or we're not exercising, Um, And even getting into elements of depression and ADHD, many of the things we've talked about uh, as well on other, other podcast episodes. So our interaction with technology, and everybody has their own consumption and relationship with technology, but that relationship has an impact on the structure of our brain and you may be finding that if you are pick one of those people that are picking up your phone over 100 times a day and switching tasks and being distracted from what you're doing to pick up your phone, you may find that you are having a shorter attention span. You're having more difficulty in in focusing. Um, You may be not as patient when it comes to exercise um, or making sure you're eating quality food. Or all those different things, and in the book, um, I write about ways that we can counter that. So we can counter that by obviously managing our devices and the easy ones, push notifications. But we can also create friction between ourselves and our devices. Having for some, in some cases, it's maybe ten minutes of uninterrupted time without a device. I'm amazed at how many people have written me, whether they're readers or listeners to this podcast, have said, I had to start with like two minutes without my phone. And I'm trying to get more time so that I can work or even just be with my family without my phone. But I have to start with this short time. And I'm gradually trying to get to a point where I can have 30 or 45 minutes non-distracted, whether to be a productive employee, to be a better mate, to be a better parent, or maybe just to be, have time with yourself and be focused and whatnot. So uh, it's a great piece in countercurrents. Um, and it's not designed to necessarily to scare folks. But I do think it's important that we recognize that our brains are changing and adapting based upon how we are focusing our attention. And as I've written and we've talked about many, many times... Our attention is the gateway to our consciousness. It is our most valuable commodity. And there are lots of things that are vying for our attention, but we have to safeguard it in the best way that we can to be more productive, to be more present, to be more parent, to be better parents, and to enjoy life better. Uh, so I encourage you to take a look at that piece. Um, it's a great, walks through a lot of the different things you've probably read in numb and seen on the podcast. Um But essentially, our brains are actually changing based upon what we're doing. This is a Numb Podcast. I'm Charles Chapin. So Facebook is changing its name, I guess, to focus on this metaverse. I didn't know what a metaverse was until this hit the news. But I guess it's a alternate reality where you could be whatever it is you want to be. And maybe you could, I don't know, fly around, maybe fly with other people who I guess are different people too. So you could be, I don't know, flying around in this alternate reality with someone who you think might be really attractive and it's actually your... Your sister. I, I don't I don't know. I don't I don't quite understand it. But regardless of that, it seems like an odd time for Facebook to be making this move. They haven't exactly had a good PR period here. Uh there's the whistleblower who's come out talking about basically this idea that there's apathy within the uh within the organization about all the things that Facebook is causing um, whether it's misinformation or low self-esteem issues, particularly amongst younger adults. Um, and then there's this, you know, whole period of data privacy issues that we had before this. We've had the whole notion of the of the January sixth and the misinformation with that, and the politics and all those different things. I mean, I'm not sure that we needed a whistleblower to tell us that Facebook really doesn't. Care about the well-being of society. I mean, it's you know, it's always nice to get things confirmed, but I mean, we, we've kind of known that. And I bring it up here because it just reinforces this point that you know, and it's probably at the sake of redundancy here. So I write about the book; it comes up on the podcast all the time. That these things are designed for specific things to take our attention and there's ways that we could use these devices and these platforms to make our lives better but we have to understand it's a Venn diagram right there are certain things where there's crossover maybe it's connecting on facebook with people who are family members but were geographically dispersed or you know individuals that are of a certain interest and they're also geographically isolated or whatever it might be, or helping other people. There's There are things that are good about it. So I'm not going to beat up Facebook the entire time. However, there are. it's just fascinating to me that there are this long history of things that have gone on here, particularly with Facebook, and yet there's this element of, there's still this conversation about trust with, I, I mean, we got to be done with that. We have to understand it's like walking into a casino. You know, if you go into that casino saying, I'm going to invest, just like the story with my mother, she's going to spend $20. We went in and had a good time. She ended up winning and we left. But don't go in there thinking, you know, this is a place where I'm going to uh, make a living. There are very few people that make a living in a casino, Right you go in with the expectation this platform is designed to steal my attention or back to the casino it's designed to take my money statistically it is the odds are against you and so the idea that people are up in arms about the whistleblower or about some of these quotes that have come out i talked about the instagram quotes and teen girls and it's you know and this idea say you know and they said well, these issues have been around for a long time. Why are you blaming us? Well, we're blaming you because there are, it, it is designed to not only steal attention, but it's designed to, the algorithms are designed in such a way that it just, it foments the hate speech or it collects data at such a large level and such an intimate level of other people that there are responsibilities there that these platforms have decided that they just don't want they don't want to have they want to have the best of both worlds. So this idea of section 230 and all of that, you know, the government is going to have to make a decision on what's going to happen with these platforms. So nevertheless, there the rationale for why Facebook is changing their name, um it could be, you know, that it's for investors, uh, you know, in some cases when companies have had bad um some bad PR, they've changed their name so that investors look at them more friendly. Uh, I think Google with Alphabet in 2015 is a good example of that. Um, but you know this, this whole notion for us as consumers, we have to continually say to ourselves, um, look, this thing, it's still walking, sounding, and looking like a duck. And they could call themselves a squirrel if they want, but they're a duck. Um, I'll pick on Comcast because they're another easy one. You know, they changed their name to Xfinity. And I'll tell you that, you know, now I just, you know, all the problems that I have with, with Comcast, now I just change it to Xfinity. I know who you are. I even said that on the phone one time. I know you're calling yourselves by a different name, but I know who you are. You're still Comcast. You just changed your name. You're not going to fool me one bit. So nevertheless, the point of all of that is, that we have to continue to, to go on these platforms with a critical eye. And if any, if we've learned anything, it's that they have not done anything to try to earn our trust. And whether they want to call themselves Metaverse or Facebook or Twitter, whatever they want to change their name to, and whatever commercials they want to have of people, you know, rolling through clover in Northern California, it still comes back to the same thing. And the implications of that we're seeing and experiencing all the time. Well, that about do it for this episode of The Numb Podcast. But before we go, I should probably mention. So I start a revolution from my bed, because you said the brains I had went to my head. Step outside, summer times in bloom, stand up beside the fireplace, take that look from off your face. You ain't ever going to burn my heart out. Cause, and so Sally can wait. She knows it's too late. That, of course, is Don't Look Back in Anger, which was by Oasis. So I got a lot of emails while we were on our hiatus, and a lot of them talked about the connection, or actually the disconnect between the book and the podcast, particularly as it relates to length. So several people wrote, you know, I love the short, concise chapters in the book, but then the podcast... I'll say this for dramatic effect, drones on for like an hour and I can't listen to the whole thing. You're talking about short attention spans chafing and you drone on for an hour. They didn't say that. Most of them were nicer about it. Um, but I hear you. Or I guess I read you because you wrote the, you wrote it. Um, and so we are shortening things up a little bit. Now when I do an interview, it'll still be longer, but in cases like today when we had a couple little things, a couple research studies I wanted to talk about, we're doing it much shorter. So I hear you, and I appreciate that. I should remind you that you can get the Numb Podca- Num Podcast on Apple, Apple Tunes. Uh, damn it. Well, then I'll do it for this episode of the Numb Podcast. But before we go, I should mention. So I start a revolution from my bed, because you said the brains I had went to my head. Step outside, summertime's in bloom. Stand up beside the fireplace. Take that look from off your face. You ain't ever going to burn my heart out. And so Sally can wait. She knows it's too late. As we're walking on by, her soul slides by. But don't look back in anger, I heard you say. That's, of course, don't look back in anger by Oasis. A reminder that you can get the Numb podcast on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, iTunes. Or wherever else you might get your podcast, Audible, and if you get the show through iTunes, I hope you'll leave a review. So I got a lot of email about um, well, we got a lot of email about the break, but I also got a lot of email about the length of the podcast, specifically the disconnect between the book and the podcast. The book has short, concise chapters, and the podcast drones on for like an hour. People never said. Nobody said drones on in the email, but I I heard it or I read it. And so we're going to offer some uh, some shorter episodes when there's not interviews, like today. There were a couple studies I wanted to mention, and then we move on. We try to do it in a concise way. So I hear you, or I guess I read you. Speaking of which, too, I wanted to uh, read another email from Sheila J in South Bend, Indiana, home of the University of Notre Dame. She just wrote, We have missed you because of, of the hiatus. Um, but I listened to the Tinder episode on two separate occasions. Wow. Thank you for that. And it really helped me in trying to manage all of the choices that seemed to be coming at me on that site. I now focus on one person and see if there's a connection rather than trying to meet two and three people at once. Dot, 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 and whatnot. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, Sheila, but thank you for the email, first of all. Second of all, you know, we talked about that in prior episodes, the idea that there's an element of choice overload, right, uh, when it comes to dating apps, that we, um, we tend to, in some cases, particularly if we are maximizers, we might want to look at all the different options that we could have for a mate um, rather than choosing one. And if we can focus on one individual, see if there's a connection for whatever our purposes are for the site, we may find that we have an easier time in managing all of that. Um, And then the whatnot quote at the end, well, we know about that. So uh, I'm working on it. I don't know that I said whatnot in this episode. I'll have to go back and look. I want to remind you that uh, the audio engineer for the Num podcast is Tim Dolbear, and the music is written by the great Jim Torito. It's great to be back, folks. And remember, if you're not where you are, you're nowhere. See you later.